All right, how's everybody feeling tonight? All right. This is your first time at joint prayer meeting. We just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, this is a monthly prayer meeting that we have each month. Uh, it's been burning strong s- since about three, four years ago. And we come together each month to just pray for the revival and healing of this nation. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here. Uh, these prayer meetings, it's not about guest speakers. It's about Jesus. Amen. Could always tell how popular Jesus is by who shows up to the prayer meetings. And in here, Jesus is superstar number one. Amen. He is the celebrity here. It's Jesus. You're not going to come here and get anyone's autograph. You're just going to get Jesus. Anyway. Even though we come for Jesus, we also do preach the word at these joint prayer meetings. So why don't you turn to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 7 through 13. 7 through 13. I'll read uh, the first verse. You guys read the second verse. And we will go so on to verse 13. Verse 7. Numbers chapter 25, verse 7. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest. Oh, wait. Let me back up a little bit. Let's go to... uh, Verse 1. We'll start from verse 1. I was like right in the middle. I'm sorry. Verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Verse 2. That's you. People to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, which is an idol. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people, hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, to the leaders, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midian woman to his family. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Let's keep going. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. All right, let's stop there. Actually, verse 12 as well. Therefore say, 
Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And I'll read verse 13. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So tonight we read this very bizarre story in Numbers chapter 25, a true story where Israel begins to intermarry with the women of Moab. And in intermarrying with them, they begin to commit idolatry with the gods that the women of Moab were worshiping. And because of this, a plague breaks out among the Israelites. And thousands and thousands are dying. And in the midst of this, God commands Moses to kill all of... He commands his leaders... Kill all of the men who have yoked themselves, who have committed idolatry with Baal, the Baal of Peor, which is an idol. And as he's saying this, a gentleman brings this beautiful looking foreign wife into the sight of Moses and to all of the leaders as they are weeping, mind you, because thousands of people are dying from plague because of this idolatry. And this gentleman has the audacity to bring this foreign woman into the camp as Moses and the leaders were weeping. And so what happens is a young gentleman named Phineas. No one told him to do this. God did not prophesy, go Phineas and do my will. Phineas got up of his own initiative. He took a spear in his hand went after the man and the woman and pierced them both with that spear right through their belly. Two for one. (laughs) And uh, they most likely, they died, okay? (laughs) Now, let me get something straight here. Interracial marriages are not a sin. The Lord is not commanding you tonight to take a spear on John and Anita or on John Michael and Sky, on Mark and Elizabeth. I mean, we got a lot of interracial marriages at at our church. I'm sure at your church, you may have a lot of interracial marriages as well. It is not sin for to have an interracial marriage. Okay. Now in the old covenant under the law, it was a sin. The letter of the law said, do not intermarry with the women, the foreign women that you find. But the spirit of the law had nothing to do with race. It had to do with idolatry. Don't intermarry with them. Don't fall in love with them. Don't go flirt with them. Lest you also worship the gods that they do and commit idolatry against the Lord your God. Now, the letter of of that law no longer applies to us. So we are, we're free to marry black, white, Korean, Chinese, whatever. Hallelujah, right? There's, there's a bigger selection then. <laughs> but the spirit of this law, it still applies for us today. Meaning that when a Christian 
wants to date and later marry a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Mormon. A non-believer. The spirit of the law continues to live on. God says, I forbid that. And so in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul teaches us, do not be yoked with unbelievers. How can you be yoked with unbelievers? You know, in a yoke, you have a two um, oxen and you yoke them together and they, they are able to pull things uh, together. How do you get yoked with an unbeliever? Well, if you get involved romantically with an unbeliever or with an idolater or somebody that worships another religion, you're going to get yoked with that person. And so God, I believe that spirit, the spirit of that law continues to, continues to be in effect today. All right. Some people try to do this mission stating. Don't worry. I got the charm. I can win this girl to Christ. I can win this young man to Christ. He's just too handsome to let him go. The Lord will be faithful. Pray with me, pastor. I'm like, I'm not praying that prayer. Now, there are testimonies of it. But those testimonies are not there for us to use it as a sense, like a normal pattern for us to follow. Those testimonies are there because of Romans 8.28, God turns all things for good. It's because of his grace, any person who married a non-believer ended up bringing that person to Christ. But believe me, there's a lot of pain in between. Anyway, that's not my message. Let's go, let's go back to this passage. <clears throat> Phineas see this man and this woman coming into the camp. People are weeping, weeping. Can you imagine Moses weeping? Glory, Lord, stop this plague. Lord, we repent, Lord. Lord, and the Lord says, kill your, get your leaders to kill everyone who's committed this idolatry. And Moses is like, Lord, is there another way, Lord? It's like, let it soak in, Moses. You go and you tell your leaders to kill. And as God's given this very harsh word to execute, this woman brings this woman into the camp. This man, this man brings this woman into the camp. <coughs> Excuse me. And this young man named Phineas, he rises up and he pierces the man and the woman with the spear. Now, check this out. The word of God here, look at verse... Um, Look at verse 13. It shall be to him, talking about Phineas, and to his descendants after him, the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. It might say jealous. jealous. Now, something that I discovered in my torch seminary class this past week, two weeks ago, is that the word jealous in Hebrew is the word Kana. Kine, I'm sorry, kina. Kina or kine, right? These are the Hebrew words that are often translated as jealousy or jealous. But did you know that this word can also be translated as zeal 
or zealous. I know in the English, it's just one letter change. And it makes the whole world of a difference. But in the Hebrew, it was just one word. Kinei, kina. Either word represents jealousy or zealousy. Zeal. Now, in the, in the Greek translations of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Greek words, the two words that are used to translate these Hebrew words is zelu and zelos. And that's where we get the word zeal from. So another way the ESV could have translated, and a lot of other Bible uh, translations translate this, is because Phineas was not only jealous, because he was zealous for his God. And has made atonement for the people of Israel. So God blessed him and his family. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you zealous for the Lord your God? Do you know what the zeal of the Lord Almighty is? Come on, I'm about to preach tonight. We're going to take it to a whole another level. People don't just get up and spear two people because they're kind of upset. What caused Phineas to do this act was nothing other than the zeal of the Lord our God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the one, you know, in the, um, by the time Jesus arrived, in, in, in the Roman Empire, when he arrived 2,000 years ago, there was a political party called the Zealots. You guys are aware of this? One of the 12 disciples was Simon the Zealot. A lot of scholars would say he was called Simon the Zealot because he was part of this political party. It was really like the Al-Qaeda of the Jew, Jews. You ever, you ever wonder how, how crazy the Al-Qaeda are? And how... Many there are. And how they're all willing, even though they have great families, great businesses. These are college-educated men, some of them. Some are poor, some are college-educated. They will go on a suicide bomb mission. Destroy innocent lives. Because they think they're doing the will of God. Well, the zealots 2,000 years ago were the Jewish Al-Qaeda. And these guys had a very particular view of the kingdom of God. They had a very particular view of the coming Messiah. They believed that it will be a political kingdom. One just like, a theocratic one, just like King David had way back. And so they, they longed for the glory years, the glory days, when, when David and Solomon, they reigned and they ruled. And because of uh, Israel's sins of idolatry, God exiled them. But they believed that God would restore them because there are all these prophecies about Israel being restored. And so they thought, we got to help God out. And so they were pretty much like terrorists and insurgents. And when Roman soldiers weren't looking, when they were chilling, they were just sipping their tea. I don't know what they were doing back then. They would lead these revolts and attacks and slaughter and murder. All kinds of, you know, Roman soldiers and things like that. And in, I believe it's 70 AD. When's the fall of Jerusalem? It's 70 AD. What caused the Roman Empire and the Roman soldiers to go into the city of Jerusalem 
and completely burn down and destroy that city was the zealots had led one of their greatest revolts. It, it happened happening in waves. There would be different leaders that would rise up and they would lead these revolts. When 70 AD, they led one final revolt and the Roman Empire said, that's enough. They sent all their soldiers and they slaughtered, they besieged it. People started eating each other. And then they went in and they just killed everyone. And the whole city was destroyed. Not a single brick was on top of another. The buildings were destroyed. The, the temple was completely destroyed. Now, <coughs> that's the zealot party at the time of Jesus. But you have to understand that Jews, they had a long tradition of zealots. And Phineas is the first kind of hero, the superhero zealot that they find in the Bible. And so these zealots, they found inspiration by looking at guys like Phineas and saying, look, Phineas did it. We got to have that same zeal. And that's why they would go in and do these insurgencies. But here's the thing. I want to trace the righteous history of the word zeal. The righteous history of the word kine and kana. Everyone say kine. Kana. You know, in the Bible, who is the first person mentioned who is full of zeal? It is the Lord our God. In Exodus chapter 20 at the Ten Commandments, God says, You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make a graven image in anything in heaven, earth, or the sea below. You shall not make it and bow down to it. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, a lot of times we read that as just jealous. Like a husband's jealousy, a boyfriend's jealousy. And we're like, oh, oh I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> but once again, that word, kane kana, is just one word. That can also be translated, for the Lord your God is a zealous God. Punishing the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So the, the zealot political group, they their first image of who is the one consumed with zeal in the Bible, it's the Lord our God. God is a God who is full of zeal. Uh, turn to Joshua 24.19. <coughs> But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God or a zealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, Bible translators, they're often argue about whether to put the word jealous with a J or the word zealous with a Z. Now, in English uh, word meaning. The word Z, zealous, has a more positive meaning, and the word J has a more negative meaning. But once again, it could be translated really either way, depending on context. And the first person in the Bible that is seen as one who is full of zeal, the one who is zealous, is the Lord our God. And from then on, we have Phineas, the accurate spear thrower. Or maybe it took like three, three stabs. I don't know. Oh. And how did he stab them both? You know, 
Maybe, maybe they were doing stuff. I don't know. But Phineas didn't care. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Phineas going there with a the spear and be like, oh, oh I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Oh, y'all, y'all handle your business first. No, I mean, he went, he didn't care. He didn't care if they were making love. He didn't care. He was filled with the zeal of the Lord. Killed him. Next person. Go to First Kings. Chapter 19. Another prototype zealot in the Bible we find in 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 18. And this is where Elijah confronts 450 prophets of Baal. Baal is once again an idol. <coughs> and you guys know the story. He confronts them and says, if Baal is God, then tell Baal to come and consume this altar. And so these 450 prophets, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, Baal is much greater than your puny little God. We'll show you. And so they start doing their enchantments and occultic witchcraft and whatever they were trying to do. It wasn't working. So they start cutting themselves and doing their rituals and stuff. It wasn't working. And so Elijah started mocking them and say, hey, maybe, maybe he's taking the bathroom break. Maybe y'all, y'all need to yell a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you today. And he's just mocking them. And then he says, watch this. And then he sets up the altar, puts water on it. Now, that wasn't even part of the whole setup. That wasn't part of the bit, like the, 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 the deal. Puts water on there. And then he calls down. He calls on the Lord Yahweh. And God comes with this fire and <laughs> consumes the altar. And then the, and then the people of Israel that were there, they started turning their attention to Elijah. And you know what Elijah did? <coughs> he commanded that all 450 prophets be slaughtered in front of him. Now, taking a spear and spearing a man and his, and his, and his lover is one thing. But having to slaughter 450 prophets of Baal? I mean, can you imagine the practical technicalities of that? How it would take you hours? They didn't have guns. Like, poof, 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 poof. Oh, yeah, line up. Poof. No AK-47s here. I mean, there is just swords, knives, whatever they had. Elijah was able to do this because he was consumed with the zeal of God. It says in uh, 1 Kings 19.10. <coughs> it says, I have been very zealous or jealous. I mean, I don't know why ESV keeps translating it jealous. I think it's a much more accurate translation here is zealous. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only, I only am left. And then they seek my life to take it away. After, the only reason he was able to kill 450 prophets of Baal was because he had the zeal of the Lord burning inside of him. Let's go to the next example. Uh, go to 2 Kings chapter 9. Now, this is the most graphic, tops them off. <coughs> In fact, this guy, you need, you need to read like, chapter after chapter to get through everything he's done 
Now, here's the context. This guy's name is Jehu. Everyone say Jehu. Jehu. Okay, if you ever plan to name your son Jehu, be careful, man. That's going to be one gangster kid. Because <laughs> he has a big reputation to live up to. Okay, this guy Jehu, in a time where both Judah and Israel, both the northern and southern kingdom, was in, in idolatry, God prophesied judgment for the northern kingdom. Because King Ahab married Jezebel. And Jezebel was introducing all kinds of idolatry to all the people. Very creative ways of idolatry all over, the people, all over Israel. And so Elijah prophesies judgment for them. And guess what happens? Jehu gets anointed king later on. He actually executes all the judgments that were pronounced against King Ahab, his family, and to all the people that were with him and partnered with him. Okay? And so this guy gets anointed king. And uh, here, I can't go over all, but let's, let's try to do a little bit, right? <coughs> Look at Second uh, Kings chapter 9, verse 8, uh, verse 7. So he gets anointed with oil, symbolizing that he is now the king of Israel. And then look at verse 7, 2 Kings 9, 7. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets. Because Jezebel had killed off all these prophets, actually, of the Lord. And the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And like the house of Bashad, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. <coughs> so, uh, Elisha, who is Elijah's uh, spiritual son, he does the anointing. He prophesies this thing over Jehu. And guess what Jehu does? Immediately he goes out to battle. All right? And at that time, oh, what am I doing? Oh, <laughs> that was so weird. I started doing the horse dance for a second. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, he, he's riding out to battle. Oh, that's so weird. Sorry. If you think that I've been practicing in front of a mirror. I wouldn't deny it. Anyway. All right, so first thing he does, Jehu, he rides out into battle to confront the king of Israel. At this time, it was Joram, Joram, which is, uh, he's a descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. He rides out into battle. The king of Israel and the king of Judah, they come together and they're like, who is this person that's riding out to battle? Who is that? You know, and he comes in unannounced. And then as they meet out in the battlefield, Jehu chases down both of them, assassinates both of them on the same day. Takes a, takes a bow and arrow right through the heart of Jerome. Oh, he's dead. Then the king of Judah is like, oh, no, I'm out. But Jehu is like, oh, no, you're not. Excuse <laughs> judgment on both of them. So both of them are dead. 
Ahijah, the king of Judah, saw this. He fled in the direction of Beth Hagan. Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also. They shot him in the chariot and he fled to Megiddo and he died there. Then Jehu goes to find Jezebel. And this is the famous story. Jezebel comes out with painted eyes, meaning she did makeup. She adorned her head. I don't know why she's looking all nice for Jehu. Jehu's about to kill her. And as he enters the gate, she starts slandering him. And he lifts up his face into the window and he says, who's on my side? Who's on my side? He's talking to the eunuchs. Now eunuchs, they're lacking in some areas. But this is to fulfill the word of the Lord. Jehu just simply says, which one of you are on my side? And the eunuch said, forget this. I hate Jezebel anyway. And they throw her over the uh, side. She lands and she dies. And Jehu goes in and he just eats. He just goes, eats dinner, whatever. And then he goes, oh, you know what? She, she's actually, you know, she's actually a queen. We should give her a proper burial. They come out to try to bury her. Her body's gone. Dogs have eaten it to fulfill the word of the Lord. But, you know, that's not even the worst part, right? This is, this is crazy. The zeal of God is on this guy. Then he had the servants of Ahab murder all 70 sons of Ahab, place their heads in two heaps at the city gates. 70 heads heaped up at the gate. Then he, then he, the, the guys who helped him, then he strikes them down. Says, hey, hey, why don't you help me out? Then he kills them. And then he struck down all the friends and priests of Ahab's family. And then he met the king of Judah, Ahaziah's family on the road. And he's just like, hey, what's up? What's up, y'all? And they're like, hey, hey, what's up? And then he kills them all, 42 of them. And then, check this out. This is the, this is the, this is the top it off, icing on the cake. He pretends to hold a large feast to the God of Baal. Gathers all the worshipers and prophets from all of Israel and Judah. I don't, I don't know how many people were gathered. Probably thousands. And as they're parting it up, as they're parting it up, he goes in and he slaughters everybody. We turn to 2 Kings ten sixteen. This guy is the Al Capone of the Bible. Who's, uh, who does um, What's-His-Face play in the other m- movie? Scarface, right? I never saw Scarface. Al Pacino. He's like the c- Scarface of the Bible. And this guy, crazy. This is like what Italian mafia people do. <laughs> you know, sometimes when they take over, they have to kill off all the family members. And they're going around doing that. Anyway, check this out. Second Kings chapter 10. I'm going somewhere, by the way. Just stay with me. Verse 16. And Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria. Till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elisha. And then if you read the rest of that chapter, that's where he gathers this fake feast and kills off all the idolaters. You don't execute the justice and judgments of God unless you are filled with the zeal of God. 
And the only reason Jehu, what Jehu does here is, is mind you, it is murder. It, I mean, it is bloody. You are taking lives. But you have to understand this in the context of God's justice. God had waited patiently for King Ahab and his family. King Ahaziah and his family. King Ahab was not to intermarry foreign women. And he intermarries this Jezebel, this prophetess pretty much of Baal. He has sinned greatly against God. And numerous times God sent Elijah the prophet to prophesy repentance. But they did not turn. You know that one Republic song? It's too late to apologize. It's too late. That's like the theme song for Jehu. Jehu's riding around. It's too late to apologize. It's too late. He's just killing people off. He's just like. He's like the grace to repent has run out. It's too late. You can't apologize now. The zeal of the Lord. Everybody say zeal. Zeal. Now, I want to bring out something interesting in the English translations of the Bible. A lot of times, we talk about having passion for God. You know, that, that gentleman has such a passion in worship. He has such a passion for the word of God. Passion, passion. <coughs> we never ever say, like, that person has a zeal for the word of God. But I'm going to challenge you tonight. Did you know that in the New Testament, wherever the word passion is used, is used in the negative sense. Every single example you can find. Okay, so I'll cite a few for you. Romans 127. And the, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucifi- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Every single instance from what I can find, passion is used in the negative sense. What you really need, what you're talking about, is not passion. The biblical pattern throughout Old and New Testament is kine kana, zelu zelos. It's the zeal of the Lord Almighty. So let me talk about this a little bit. Go to Romans twelve eleven. <coughs> There's a lot of wonderful verses using. The Greek word zelo, zelous, in the New Testament. I'm going to draw out a few. Romans 12:11. In the ESV, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lazy in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. 
The NIV says, never be lacking in zeal. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, never be lacking in zeal. Doesn't say never be lacking in passion. I'll tell you something right now. Passion. Can, it's a it's a dualistic word. It has you, the world can use passion. And the church can try to use passion. But let me talk about zeal. Zeal is a word that's set apart. Righteous zeal. The zeal of the Lord is a word set apart. For God to use talking about a passion well beyond what we might see a basketball player have. Well beyond what Justin Bieber feels for his fans or his fans feel for him. Yeah, there's passion there, but you will never find zeal there. Zeal is a crazy thing. Because it's just one letter and you talk about jealousy, not zealous. And God's like that. God declares, I am slow to anger, rich in love, compassion. Do not commit idolatry against me. Because if you commit idolatry against me, I'm going to be like that crazy husband. (laughs) That loves you with this incredible zeal. But the moment you start sleeping around, that Z will turn to a J. And you will see just how much I burn in love for you. I mean, the, the whole concept's a little crazy. You gotta think about that. It's crazy. It's crazy, but God's not scared of this. It's the thing. God's not scared of this concept of zeal. <coughs> so what should we be zealous for? All right? So I, I, I draw out three Verses that talks about what we can be zealous for. Titus 2.14 says, be zealous for good works. So number one, you can be zealous for good works. You know, you know, a lot of times we're not very zealous for good works, are we? We're like, ah, oh, yeah, we should do it because, you know, it's a Christian thing to do. Okay, let me help you out. <laughs> When's the last time you saw somebody that was zealous for good works? You know? Hey, let me help you. No, it's okay. I got it. I got it. No, no. Let me help you. I'm just so zealous for good works today. (coughs) But that's what the Bible encourages us to do. Be zealous for good works. Why? Because Jesus taught, let them see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Good works are never for you to be Built up in your reputation, your virtuous reputation, good works are always there. That glory may go to to God the Father. Be zealous for good works. Another one, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. If you read this entire passage about different gifts, having gifts, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. There's only one form of leadership God wants in his house from his people. 
And that is a leadership that burns with the zeal of the Lord. Second thing you could be zealous for is leadership. You know, sometimes I think I'm a little crazy. Because as I serve my church at New Philly, sometimes things bother me. It burns in me when it doesn't burn other people. People are like, what's the big deal? Chill out. But I go, no, this won't go away. I have this zeal for leadership. And I know it's God-given. It's really the, it really is the Holy Spirit. And I can't always figure out why I feel the way I do. But when I feel it, I know I just got to step up like Jehu and start grabbing spears, grabbing. No, I'm not talking about spears. At New Philly, we're talking about a hammer. Hammer of discipline. It's not an easy thing. Like the other day, I had to dish out all this discipline to, to our leadership. Because they broke confidentiality rules for this thing called the Naomi Initiative that we're doing at our church. And confidentiality was huge on this ministry. If you break the confidentiality, you're really breaking a lot of people's trust. And it just doesn't work without confidentiality. So all of these leaders, mature leaders in, in the church at New Philly, they broke this confidentiality agreement. So I have to spend six hours straight meeting with 23 people, explaining to them why what they did is not a light matter. And then administrating discipline to them. You're going to go to church cleaning six, six times before the end of the year. That's heavy. <laughs> or for some people, I had them step down from ministry leadership positions for a season. <clears throat> and, I, and, I, and I sometimes think, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why do I burn with the zeal? But it's right here, right here. When you lead... God doesn't want any other leadership but a leadership that burns with zeal. Revelation 3.19 is connected to what I just talked about. Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love are reprove and discipline. So check this out. So be zealous and repent. Isn't that interesting? The third thing you could be zealous for is discipline and repentance. <clears throat> you see, people that don't quite get the concept of sonship to God, when they get disciplined, they take that discipline like they used to take their their memet, their their beatings. What are, what are Americans call it? Whippings. I only know it as memet. Oh, spanking, spankings. Yeah, spanking. Meme. Oh, that was like the word I did not want to hear. Anyway, man, that's scary. My mom, man, had the Z of the Lord when she knew that meme. Um, a lot of times when we receive discipline from the Lord, some of us, we still act like, like little immature 10-year-olds. And go, well, why am I getting hit? Oh, mom, I hate you. <sighs> You know, <laughs> I won't lie, man. My mom used to beat me hard, right? I mean, she didn't beat me, but like when she whipped me, it hurt. It hurt. And, and she always hit me in my butt. Korean tradition, you get that butt and you have to sit on it for the rest of the week. So you feel the pain every time you sit. 
Oh, you didn't know that strategy? You try using it on your kids now, all right? Anyway, man, that song worked. But a lot of times I didn't take it very maturely. And I, I'll, I'll just be real here with you. Not that any of y'all did this. But after I get, I get whipping on my butt, I'll go to my room and I'll curse my mom out. Not, not, I don't do it to, in front of her. I don't want to die. <laughs> I will go in my room and I'll just be like, oh, and I'm bleeping, bleeping. I'll, I'll like, curse. I, I wasn't taking it in. It sunk in later, but still, I mean, it still worked. I didn't have the right attitude, but it still worked. But anyway, some of us, we still take the discipline of the Lord in that same way. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I discipline those whom I love. So be jealous. Be excited. Be excited that you get disciplined. Because there's a whole world that perishes. That will never know the love and discipline of the Father. Understand that with every discipline, it is a whip of love. So be zealous and repent. Isn't that amazing? So you could be zealous for good works. You could be zealous for leadership. You could be zealous for discipline and repentance. Now, here's the thing with zeal, though. (coughs) Zeal, like I said, can carry both a positive and negative connotation. The Bible actually says in Romans 10, 2. I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. And this is uh, Apostle Paul talking about the Jews. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. When you have a zeal for God without knowledge, it is a very dangerous thing. And this is why it's very important that you guys are receiving the teaching and preaching ministries of your pastors. If you're not consistently being fed the word of God, you're not consistently being set straight in your wrong thinking. If you got zeal for God, but it's without knowledge, without wisdom, that is an ugly thing. That is a dangerous thing. You know what the Jews did in the early church when they refused to convert to Christianity and they had a zeal for God, but it was without knowledge? They went around killing Christians door to door, taking them outside and stoning them to death. Now, think about think about that. What what a inhumane group of people. Why would they ever just stone people to death? Stephen's there, you know, he's got the face of an angel. Oh. They're like, I don't care. Why? Why? Because there's this history of zeal and zealots in the Jewish history. But what they failed to realize was their zeal was one without knowledge. And the apostle Paul himself got swept up with those persecutions where he was persecuting the church. And he thought he was doing the will of God. You know what every Muslim thinks before he blows himself up? He's not thinking, I'm going to kill innocent people. He thinks, I got a zeal for God. I'm going to do his will, no matter what the cost. You know what a (coughs) North Korean spy is thinking? Before he turns in a hundred North Korean 
refugees that are hiding out in China. He's thinking, I have a zeal for my God who is Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. But unfortunately, all of that zeal, when it's without knowledge, it just leads to destruction, not life. This is why the, the preaching, teaching ministry of the church is so important. You know, there are people that have joined cults. I mean, think about that, right? You had in California the Heaven's Gate cult. These were Silicon Valley Harvard business graduates. And they joined this cult. And they literally believed that a comet was coming to take them away. And the way that they would ride on that comet and get to heaven or whatever they were thinking was they had to drink cyanide and wear black Nike shoes. They all wore black Nike shoes, drank cyanide, and they killed themselves all together. Zeal without knowledge. The Branch Davidians, David Koresh and his followers, they really believed that David Koresh was the Messiah. But it was a zeal without knowledge. Zeal for God is good. But make sure that your zeal is one that is rooted in truth. That is led by the Spirit of God. Not just a reckless zeal. But a rightly directed one. But here's the thing. Satan's constantly using people with zeal without knowledge for destruction. But I believe what God's doing on the earth right now, he's pouring out his spirit all over the earth. You know what, what, one of the things I love about doing in ministry? It's releasing the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's quite amazing, actually. Even last night at our church, we were praying for all of these new leaders that are taking new leaders training. And I said, y'all come up and we're going to pray for you to receive the fire of the Holy Spirit. Y'all don't know, some of y'all don't know what that is. It doesn't matter. We're just going to pray for you right now, and you're going to get blasted. And as we're praying, man, people got jacked up. People were crying. They were shaking. They were, they were roaring like lions. I won't call out who did that. But that boy was roaring like a lion. God bless you, brother. More. You know what? What I feel? Passion is, is a word that just doesn't quite capture it. When the fire of the Holy Spirit comes, what I see in God's people is a zeal. The zeal of the Lord just starts rising up inside of them. And everything that they were taught, it comes to life. Everything they, that they believed or thought it was fake or thought it wasn't real, it just starts, the faith starts to rise up and they say, it's all real. And I want it all now. That's why I believe God, God loves that symbol of fire. Fire represents zeal. Why is God so obsessed with fire? In the, and throughout the whole Bible, God is just the God of fire. You know, when we were kids, we were taught not to play with matches and fire. But God's like, nah, nah, you come be my, my follower. You can play with all the fire you want. 
I don't care if you burn yourself, burn the earth. You just play with fire because I'm a God of fire. Come follow me. I mean, God loves fire. Because I believe that the fire, <coughs> fire of the Holy Spirit, it's a symbol for the seal of the Lord that God wants us to be filled with, for us to burn with. He doesn't want us to mechanically just come out to these prayer meetings. He doesn't want you to mechanically just lead in your churches. He doesn't want you to just mechanically do good works. The Bible says, never be lacking in zeal. Serve the Lord. Do not get lazy about zeal. Everything God calls us to do, he wants us to do it with zeal. With his fire. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And then he goes in. He sees what's going on. John chapter 2. <coughs> and he sees the people that are selling the oxen and the sheep and the pigeons and the money changers. And he makes, the Bible says, a whip of cords. Now, some people think that this was a separate incident. There might have been two incidents where he did this. But here, John, he puts that at the beginning of his gospel, makes this whip of cords, and he just starts driving people out of the temple. And so the disciples are just having a happy-go-lucky day. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, whoa, Jesus, calm down. What are you doing? And Jesus is like, what are you doing? It's like tears in his eyes when he's screaming. What are you doing? You got to understand, Jesus is not going in and going, um, hey, take these things away. <laughs> Don't you know my father's house will be called a house of prayer? No. He's in there, what are you doing? Don't you know my house will be called a house of zeal? House of prayer, I'm sorry. House of prayer. I mean... Yo, Jesus went crazy. He went mafia. He went wicked. He went crazy. He went... <coughs> but here's the interesting thing. As his disciples watched this, they did not say to themselves, this Messiah is crazy. Okay. The Bible says in John 2, 17, the disciples remembered that it was written in the Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me. Do you know why Jesus started turning over money changers and started making whips and, and, and whipping oxen? They didn't do nothing wrong. They're like, ooh, moo. And Jesus was like, get out. <laughs> the poor sheep, pigeons, they didn't do nothing. They didn't do a single thing. You know why Jesus did all this? Jesus did this because Jesus had a zeal for his house. For the house of the Father, which will be called a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. For the house, the Greek meaning oikos, which can be translated as the household of God, as the family of God. 
In other words, the church. Jesus <coughs> has such a zeal for the house of God, for the church, that he was willing to throw away whatever what other people might think of him to set in order what he thought was out of order in his house. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a zeal for the house of God? Do you have a zeal for your church that is so burning inside of you that sometimes you're just like this close from being crazy? That's what zeal of the Lord really means. Zeal of the Lord means you're always like an inch from crazy. <coughs> and sometimes crazy might come out a little bit. And here's the thing. God doesn't say, I'm embarrassed of you. How could you, Jesus? <sighs> no, the father, the fathers, when, the, when God sees that in your lives, sometimes you might do something crazy. He's not going to despise you. He's going to be like, that's my boy right there. He needs to grow up a little bit more, but that's my boy. <laughs> Easy on the oxen, young man. <laughs> they ain't doing nothing wrong. <clears throat> Do you have a zeal for the house of God? <clears throat> I'll tell you an example of a person in the New Testament that had a zeal for the house of God that was a reflection of the zeal we see in Jesus. And that man's name was Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a man zealous for God. In the Old Testament, the zeal of God looked like Jehu slaughtering a huge feast of idolaters. But on this side of the cross in the New Testament, the zeal of the Lord, you know what it looked like? The Apostle Paul will preach the gospel and the crowds will come around him and take hold of him and start punching him and spitting on him and taking him outside the city and stoning him. And the Apostle Paul will get right back up. By the grace of God, he'll get, get it up and he'll go back right in the same city that just stoned him. That's either crazy or it's called something else. It's called the zeal of the Lord. The Apostle Paul got whipped 40 minus one. Do the math. He, did, he, got, he got that twice. Twice. Did that stop him from preaching the gospel? Never. He got <coughs> not only opposition and persecution, he got betrayed. This guy, Mark, the punk. Apostle Paul says, hey, hey, hey help me out. Mark just deserts him. Now, praise the Lord. Later, the scholars think that the Mark that appears in some of uh, Paul's later latter letters is actually the Mark who deserted him. So eventually Paul forgave him and let him back in. But you know, he got betrayed. People left him. People ridiculed him. People slandered him and said, we, he's just a short little chump. He's all authoritative in his letters, but when you meet him in person, he's just a little scrawny little guy. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. 
follow me. People got slandered him all the time. But did that stop him? No. He was consumed with the zeal of the Lord. If you look at the life of Apostle Paul, what you see is a life that is burning with the zeal of the Lord. The reason why we get this picture of Apostle Paul from pretty much the beginning of his conversion until the last weeks before he is executed. And by the way, he got executed when he was a harabaji. All right. Some of the disciples, they got, they got executed mad early. Now, <coughs> I'm not sure if that was an honor or if the Lord was like, eh, man, it takes so long. Man. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the story is. We'll find out in heaven. But they didn't get to do much because a couple of disciples, they got, they got killed right away. James got killed right away. The James you read about in the Bible is not James, one of the 12. It's James, the brother of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, we get a glimpse of his life from his conversion until his harabaji years when he's about to get executed. And his whole life, everything he does, he never lacks in zeal. What we see Jehu doing with zeal, killing off and judging and, and bringing justice... It's the same zeal that's on the Apostle Paul preaching life and building up and planting churches. You guys hear what I'm saying? Don't look at the story of Phineas and go, oh, man, what's wrong with this guy? Or Elijah, oh, was that a little extreme? No more obrahada, huh? (laughs) Or... No, this same tradition of zeal that the Jewish, the Jews knew, God wants this to be your inheritance. God says, this is, is the man that's after my heart. I don't even have to tell him to do it. He gets up and he does it. In Isaiah 9, 7, listen to this one. Just listen. Isaiah 9, 7. I'll close with this. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. (coughs) Do you know what Isaiah 97 is talking about? Who is this talking about? Increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. He will sit on the throne of David to establish it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's talking about Jesus. The inc- we, we might look at the wrong polls, look at the wrong missions reports, and we might think that the church is doing a pretty bad job of reaching the unreached, of getting out there. But let me tell you something right now. The kingdom of God has been advancing and increasing, and it has never decreased once. And even where it looked like it was decreasing, it was just all set up. God has promised that of the increase of his government, there will be no end from this time forth and forevermore. So that means for all of everlasting eternity, his government and peace is just going to keep increasing. 
But let me read you the last sentence of this verse. He will uphold it with justice, righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You want to see Jesus show up in your schools? You want to see Jesus show up in your churches? You want more of Jesus among the youth of this nation? Then burn with his zeal. Because the word of God says in Isaiah 9-7, it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish these things. You can't go in half-hearted. You need a passion greater than the passion you can muster up for yourselves. You need the fire of the Holy Spirit. You need to burn with the zeal of Phinehas, the zeal of Jehu, the zeal of Elijah, the zeal of Jehovah God Almighty. It is the zeal of the Lord that will accomplish this. I want us to just close our eyes, bow our heads. <coughs> Leave all the lights on. There are those in here right now. And you're struggling with apathy. There's quite a number of you in here. Struggling with apathy, I don't care if you're a leader at a church, I don't, I don't care what your situation is. If you're struggling with apathy, that's your situation. <laughs> but let me tell you something right now. Apathy, that is a demonic attack of the enemy. And you should refuse to allow it to continue in your heart. Christian life was never meant to be one where you have seasons of just apathy. If there is any apathy, it's, it's supposed to be temporary. The standard, the norm that God wants you to walk in is the zeal of the Lord. Because the increase of his government, it will only be accomplished for a people of God that burn with his zeal. So if you're struggling with apathy tonight, I want you to stand up and I just want to pray for you. There was a powerful impartation that went out last night at New Philly. And it's something that I can't create through teaching. I can only set you up for it. But it's got to be accomplished by the very Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God comes with His fire, it breaks up all apathy. It shifts the heart from a place of indifference into a place not just with passion, but with zeal. The zeal of the Lord Almighty. Where you are zealous for his word, zealous for his presence, zealous for his glory, zealous for his holiness. God wants you to feel that. God wants you to burn with that zeal. So if you're struggling with apathy, I want you to stand up right now. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask some new Philly pastors, altar leaders, as well as do we have some third wave leaders here that can help pray? Benya, you want to help pray for people when you come up?
Here's the thing. A lot of times, Satan plays mind tricks with apathy. And he says, he creates the apathy. He's, he's the one who lies with certain deceptions to create that apathy. And then he accuses you of it. And says, hey, look at you. Look at you. Why are you so apathetic? This is all your fault. He's the accuser of the brethren for a reason. But I want you to take no ownership over that. <coughs> and you just simply tell the Lord, Lord, this apathy is temporary. And I want you, Lord, to fill me with that zeal that Phineas felt that day when he speared the woman and the man and stopped the plague and judgment. It is your zeal that can stop the judgment of God from coming upon your family, from coming upon a city, coming upon a nation. It just took one man to rise up in the zeal of the Lord and God was so pleased that he stopped that plague. The Bible doesn't mention that Moses went on to kill all those other people. Phineas, his zeal, it ended that plague. And we need a people of God rise up, burn with the zeal of the Lord. And begin to proclaim His word, His truth, His mercy. To stop the judgment that we see in so many places. To stop the dark works of the enemy that we see in so many places. All right, I want all those who are standing right now, I want you to just pray right now.